With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Jessica, and this is Tebake Rambles, where a couple of friends review Korean dramas. And I'm back for a new episode, a new K-drama, and today I'm joined by the incredible Sarah from K-drama This, slash the co-host of Afternoon to Ask podcast. How are you, Sarah? Hey, I'm so excited to be here, Jess. So thank you so much for inviting me. Yes, I'm absolutely thrilled that you're here. I think I asked you on this episode... Mm, like January or February of this year we're now towards the end of the summer (laughs) and I feel terrible (laughs) that it's taken this long to get here but I'm thrilled that we were both able to watch the show that we're going to talk about today Do You Like Brahms a musical k-drama and we're going to do a nice deep dive I forgot to preface this by saying that I was going to ask you this question which was how did you get into k-dramas and c-dramas and all the rest Oh, right. Well, um, so I, my background, for those of you who don't know me, I'm British Chinese. So my parents are from Hong Kong. So I've technically been watching Asian dramas, so Hong Kong dramas, like way before any Western dramas or any other dramas, really, because, um, you know, so I'm, I'm sufficiently old, right? We only had one TV in the house when I was growing up and like after dinner and the programming for the cartoon stops then it like my parents were like this is like our tv time now and so you can sit and watch tv with us but it's hong kong dramas or you can go to bed uh and i was like i don't like going to bed i'm gonna stay around and watch these hong kong dramas so so technically i've been watching see hong kong dramas china hong kong chinese dramas uh all my childhood uh so since i was young and i was very lucky so i'm a child of the 80s and back then tvb which is like the main hong kong broadcasting channel was like in its golden era so people that you might know so like tony lung who played um the mandarin in shang chi the marvel movie like it was his heyday you know like he was an opa so he was Uh my original my original opa like my crush when i Mm. was growing up um and then andy lau who he was in um a movie with is like a big star and zhao yin fat who you probably know from crouching tiger and michelle yo and jackie chan like this is their era like this is the era that i grew up so um i think we kind of all acknowledge that hong kong drama is just it's not really where it's at anymore but mm-hmm. back in the day, and Leslie Chung, he gets like regularly kind of name dropped in. <laughs> he was hugely popular in Korea. I don't, I didn't realize until I started watching K drama, and I see references to him and his movies all the time now. Um, so obviously he was really big in Korea. Um, so yeah, so grew up with that. Uh, and then K dramas. So again, there was like this. This so in Cantonese, I'll say Dai Chang Gum. I think it's a. Uh, 
uh, a really old, um, very popular K-drama um, that charted like the history of a female physician. Like it's a historical drama, uh-huh. mm-hmm. but it was huge in Asia. And like my parents were watching it, like just kind of binging and binging it. Um, and I remember dipping in and out of it, but I just wasn't really like getting it. And, and they were binging. So they were like doing like way into the night. And I was like, I'm, I got to sleep. So I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so my first proper K-drama was during lockdown. Uh, and so similar to many others, uh, Crush Landing wow. on You ah. was my my gateway drama, my gateway drama. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was like an experience, right? So yeah. uh, just, so I'm a romance reader. I've always been like a lifelong romance reader. And I was just like, what is this drama? Like they literally put everything in it, you know, like they don't, they Every don't drop. limit themselves. They don't limit themselves, right? Like they're going to just chuck everything at this drama. And like, I got to the end and I was like, my God, what is this? I've got like the worst hangover. I was playing the soundtrack like over and over. And I was like, I think the only way I can cure myself <laughs> from this hangover is just to rewatch the whole thing, right? Because oh. I've just, I've just got to do like, I've just got to see them again and do more crying and like, yeah. And then I feel like I can lay this drama to rest, and mm. and then that's it. Down the rabbit hole I went, and like, I don't think I've watched barely any Western dramas since Crash Landing on You, and that's basically now my my mini journey. Oh yeah. my god. I love to hear I love to hear people's origin stories and how you grew up in the heyday of Hong Kong cinema and television and how that's really just segued into talking about K-dramas because the pandemic made us all rethink life (laughs) and, uh, you know, changed our our watch habits tremendously. And I'm so thankful for Crash Landing on You, which we have covered on the podcast. I had my OG co-host Rico watch it yeah and I was like you don't understand this is like the gateway drama for so many people I was like trying to like how make him understand the gravity of like what he's just watched yeah and he was like yeah (laughs) like he just did it it wasn't necessarily the gateway drama for him so and then um I have been really sucky at choosing dramas for him to watch because every time we come on here or he does a show an episode with me for Thibak he's like it was fine he's not like riveted by anything he's just takes it all in stride and he's like this was good this was bad and pretty even keeled and I haven't hit like a sweet spot where he's like that was an amazing show the only one that he's pretty much said that about is Signal Oh, yeah. I need to watch that. I still mm. need to watch that because I'm such a Lee, Lee Joo-hoon fan. So, oh my god, me too. Yeah, I have, <laughs> I have that, I have that out there. He's doing like yeah. a fan me. I'm so so. Um, I'm about to fly to Asia for a for a holiday for a family holiday, mm. and I've been. I've been like just scouring the net to see if anyone is doing a flipping fan meet while I'm out there. Yeah. But unfortunately, everyone is going either just before or just after I'm there. And I'm like, oh, or they're like in a different city altogether. So yeah. I think he's just been to Manila or like So and Gook is nearly in Manila or like, you know, there's just like. Mm. Damn. <sighs> But he was in Singapore earlier, which is where I'm going to. And I was like, oh, you couldn't do no. your fan meet in August when I'm going to be there. Like, I so wanted, like, even just, 
I'm just so curious, right? So, like, what happens on a fan meet, right? Same. I was about to say, like, if you're not fan meets are like an enigma. Exactly right. If you're not an if you're not an idol singer and you're not doing like dance performances, like, what are you? What do you, what do you, do? And then do they speak in Korean and then people like, do they, does somebody live translate or like, how do you, like, what do they do on mm-hmm. fan meets? I agree. I have so many questions that can be answered so by just going to a fan meet. <laughs> so that, so that, I know. Oh, I know. Well, thanks I'm, again for chit-chatting really quick before we get into this episode on Do You Like Brahms? I'm going to do a little bit of housekeeping real quick. If this is your first time listening, wow, thank you so much for listening. Please go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and so many more. And please, if you like us, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And come check us out on social media to stay up to date on our latest episodes and reviews, content. I'm on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, X, whatever you call that, and Facebook at Tibok Pod. And if you're a fan, the best way to be a fan is to become a patron. It is such a great way for you to get involved and show your support and get a bunch of extra content for as little as $2 a month, guys. It's amazing. You can check out the page on patreon.com slash alwayscriticpod. And we do always shout out our patrons. So thank you to Curtis, Bale, Cindy, CD, Alana, Grace, Lorna, Lee, Sammy, Caitlin, and Kiana and Michelle. Kiana and Michelle are new patrons. Hello. Thank you, ladies. And thank you, all of my patrons. I'm really glad that we have this little community and that we're all interacting. And I'm going crazy about sea dramas like Hidden Love on the Patreon feed. So please join us over there. All right. Sarah, we're going to start talking about Do You Like Brahms? As always, non-spoiler and then spoiler section. And we can get into it right now. I'll go ahead and start us off with the MDL synopsis, which reads, In defiance of her family's opposition, Songa gets accepted to the music school of the same university where she originally majored in business. As she's seven years older than her classmates, she finds her new academic life daunting and struggles to find strength. One day, she hears Junyong playing... Which I think that's how you say it. It's in German, and I looked up the pronunciation, and I think I just butchered it anyways. But it's the Tromare. Tromare for the those who don't speak German like me. Uh, anyway, this song comforts her. Dun Young is a talented pianist who started playing the piano when he was six. He's been friends with Jung Kyung, the granddaughter of Kyungu Group CEO, for a long time, and is in love with her. When he decides to keep his distance from Jung Kyung, he meets Songa. So this show is a pandemic show. It aired from August to October 2020. It is 16 episodes long and it's directed by Yoon Jung. He's also directed In the Interest of Love, which just came out a few months ago. It's a 2022-2023 show and that's pretty much it. This director hasn't done any other directing work. It is written by Ryu Bo Ri. And this this screenwriter only has two writing credits. It's Do You Like Brahms and Trolley from 2022. And then this stars Pak Eun-bin as Che Sung-ha. And she is a child actress. She's still acting 30 plus TV credits. You might have seen her recently in The King's Affection and Extraordinary Attorney Woo, which we have covered on the podcast. And then her co-star is Kim Min-jae, who plays Pak Jun-young. I will hereby call him, hereafter call him JYP for, for the <laughs> remainder of the episode, because 
That is way easier than saying Park Junyoung. Uh, Min Jae has had a really good uh, few years. I've said this before, but the pandemic has done really good things for his career. Uh, just like it's done really good things for other actors and actresses. He was in Dali and Kaki Prince in 2021. Pung, the Chosun Psychiatrist, one, th- one and two, both seasons. And then most recently in Bloodhounds, which is a Netflix original from just this year, 2023. You might have seen him in other things. Like, I, I always think of him as the king, the young version of the king in yeah. Guardian, the Lonely and Great God. And then he's also in Tempted, which is a Cruel Intentions remake, basically. And uh, yeah, you might have seen him in some other stuff. So that's not that's not all he's been in. Uh, how do you feel about Park Eun-bin and Kim In-jae as actors and actresses in the industry? And where have you seen them before? This is a great question because actually it's the reason I picked this drama up. So I saw King's Affection loved Park Eun-bin in this, uh, in, th- in that drama. Uh, and I was really intrigued by this one. Um, this was my first, barring the goblin kind of mini cameo thing, this was my first Kim Min-jae kind of uh, drama mm-hmm. as well. And I was just blown away by how good they were. Um, and also, because Park Eun-bin, I've, I've seen her in, so I kind of watched part of Hot Stove Leave, but I hadn't, I kind of, it's on hold. Um, <laughs> she is... But she's so different, right? In that drama, she is really. I don't have you seen it, Jess? I haven't seen Hot Stove. You haven't seen. So um, it's a sports drama, so that's kind of why I put it on hold because I was a bit like. Anyway, she plays <laughs> like such a dynamic character, and she's really like uh, just really energetic. And here, she's just so completely different, right? Mm. Really quiet, really introverted. And in King's Affection, like um, I feel like she was, you know really quite alpha right because she was basically yeah. like playing a king the most of the drama um and so this role was like a really different side to her so mm. i was really like wow is this like the same actress you know yeah. just so so intrigued and then kim and jay i i kind of thought that he was this kind of actor like this role just was so it sat so well with him and so easily on his shoulders and then i watched dali and cocky prince earlier this year and i was like oh <laughs> Like he is, wow, he's an amazing actor, right? Because he is just so completely different. Like, you know, in that, have you seen Dali and Cocky Prince? I haven't seen that one. Everyone's been telling me to watch it. I need, yeah, you need to watch it, Jess. So like Dali and Cocky Prince, like he's the Cocky Prince in the titular, like he's the titular Cocky Prince. And he is just literally the complete opposite of the character he plays in Brahms. Um, Like he's the closest we have, I think, to a himbo. As oh, a no. kind drama lead, like he <laughs> nice. is, yeah, he is. You know, really like uncultured. He's brash. He's a cocky prince, right? So, and he's, <laughs> you know, he's he's way less intelligent uh, uh, than than the female lead, um, <laughs> and he's very pretty, obviously, and just really shallow and <laughs> materialistic. But <laughs> he totally carries it off, and I was just, like, oh my god, he's just like chalk and cheese. Like, what an amazing actor that he could do both so authentically and make you love him as well. Like, you know, you could, you can, so he goes and gets, he's always dressed in like head to, I know that we're not supposed to be talking about Darling Cocky and Prince in this podcast, That's but anyway, fine. He, it's fine. He, like, he's, he's in like top to toe in like designer gear. And then we realize that he's actually also a bit tight. So he doesn't buy his designer gear from a designer shop. He's a chable that buys them from secondhand shops. <laughs> 
Oh, that's funny. That's so that's funny. Good. And but you still love him, and that uh, he he just has that connection with the audience, I think. And then like in Brahms, it's just completely different, right? He's so reserved. He's so well turned out. He's so you know stoic, and but he again makes you fall for him. And I just think they're really. I I just think it's incredibly hard. I I mean I I would just say like the genius of this drama I think is that it's about two introverts. Yes. Thank and you. And they and they make you like you draw you're drawn to them. Mm. And it's amazing. And I'm mm. still kind of a little bit working out what the geni- the genius of how they did it, right? Because it was yeah. Mm-hmm. Really good. We're going to circle back to that because I think this is must be a genre or like a subgenre all on its own with two characters that are introverts and how they fall in love and how they navigate yeah. their relationship and any misunderstandings that happen in K-drama land because they're not like the typical leads to me. No. And yeah. it's been a really long time since I've seen other than Summer Strike, which is two ex- two introverts falling in love as well and really sweet, sweet romance. But the this two introverts i feel like it's gone by the wayside largely and it's so nice when you come across one of these stories where you're like there's something really frustrating at times with them but also very comforting to see these two sort of fall into each other and have to put themselves forward in different ways and it's difficult to sell a romance where someone isn't naturally charismatic yeah yeah, and and so quiet, like quiet, not quiet in the volume way, but just quiet in people, mm. you know. And mm. and obviously, normally it's it's they'll pair an extrovert with an introvert, or grumpy mm. with sunshine, opposites, or you know, yeah, yeah, and opposites. And it was just so lovely to see. Actually, no, we're gonna just find two people that see, you know, their kind of person in this mm. person, and and you know, because they open up in a way that they don't with others, and it was really beautiful to watch. Yeah. So uh, quickly, we have our second couple slash second female lead. So we have Kim Sung Chol, who plays Han Song, who is the cellist slash BFF. And he will be in Hellbound 2 later this year. He was the second male lead in Our Beloved Summer. He was the president that Vincenzo seduced in Vincenzo in 2021. I just saw him in Sweet Home because we just reviewed Sweet Home on the podcast. And so he was in that, not to spoil anything about his character in that show. He will definitely be back in Sweet Home too, um, presumably. And then he's been in Arthur Chronicles, The Wind Blows, and Prison Playbook, as a matter of fact, which I really enjoyed Prison Playbook. And that's another episode that you can scroll back in your podcast feed and listen to. Um, he stars opposite Park Ji Hyun, who is the second female lead. She plays Jung Kyung, and she's most recently been in Reborn Rich, which I still haven't seen yet, and Love All Play, which we've also covered on the podcast. It's a sports show, sports K-drama. Yumi Cells, you might have seen her in Yumi Cells. If you saw her in Yumi Cells and you really hate her because um, (laughs) she was really sort of annoying and mean and uh, conniving a little bit in Yumi Cells. Uh, yeah, a bunch of stuff that she's been in. But um, how did you feel about these two? And where have you seen them before? So Kim Sung Chok, can I just now use your your podcast to manifest like a nice romance for him? Do you yes. not feel the same way? I'm just like, 
I like I watched him uh I loved him in Prison Playbook. I think that was my first drama with him in it. And then I watched this. And God, he's such a good actor. He's just he's such really a good actor. Good. Like he really, really makes he really makes me feel his pain. Like his pain at not being loved specifically. <laughs> and then our beloved Summer. Again, the same pain. <laughs> it's just he's just like constantly yearning. Like his face is just like and then finally I got to Vincenzo and it's like I have got to say it's a little bit homophobic, that kind of whole like section. But still, like he just rocks up and he just absolutely delivers it, right? So even right. in Vincenzo, he's like yearning. And I'm just like, please, could someone please give him a drama where he ends up happy and not yearning like could someone just love him yes, back the way i agree i think he's way overdue for his own romance yeah for his own leading role yes and he can act really well i i think yeah. everything that i've seen him in i'm like wow he's really good he's different yeah. in any in everything and it might be just that he's choosing projects that are varied and characters that are different even though they don't end up with the with the you know person at the end but i agree i think he's he's overdue to to get his own show hopefully it'll happen soon for him and let's manifest that together we'll we'll collectively yearn yearn for that and request that of the industry and then pak Hyun, have you seen her before no this is my first drama of hers uh actually and (laughs) i think she has a very difficult character oh my god yes so I think she actually did quite well in a way because it's, I think probably of the all four characters, hers was the more complex one to play. Um, so yeah, and I went on my own little journey with her and her character. So by the end of it, I was like, do you know what? Hats off to you. You did actually really, you really did this character justice and it was not an easy role. It was not an easy role, and maybe because I came in with my own biases of not liking her from oh, other shows, not yeah. not liking her acting. I mean, like she's yeah. consistently playing these characters that are they're Spike. testing you, yeah. okay? Yeah. And so uh, when I saw her in the show, I was like, "Oh shit, here she is again!" I was like, "Dang it!" <laughs> and sure enough, her character is really difficult to like. She's actually yeah. quite unlikable. Yeah. And she's prickly and she's irritable and she's jealous. And it's totally fine for characters to be flawed and, you know, what have you. But in this show, I really was disliking her for the bulk of it. It was only until the last couple of episodes that I was like, okay, fine. Yeah. Fine. I will allow it. You know (laughs) what I'm saying? I do. I had the same journey. I had the same journey. Yeah. Uh, well, I think I can guess what your feelings are, but what were your overall thoughts on Do You Like Brahms? I was just so in awe of this drama. Like, it's really, like, it just really surprised me. So when I started it, I just didn't, I kind of started it on a whim. Like I said, I saw Pak and Bin. And I was like, oh, like, they're classical musicians. I don't really know much about classical music. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to start it. And I might end up, like, two episodes in and just not carrying it on, which is kind of, like, the thing that mm-hmm. I do. <laughs> but before I knew it, I was, like, eight episodes in and I was so invested. Um, mm. I just 
was the writing was amazing their acting was amazing i just loved it i think it's so underrated so that's the other thing because people don't talk enough about this drama no they don't um, they really don't and and i was so that's partly also it because you kind of you know you like you hear stuff and like someone says oh this is an amazing drama you've got to go and see it or or like it's a really famous you know like genre setting drama or whatever but no one really talks about this drama and so i just thought maybe it was just going to be something that like was a bit of a palate cleanser in between a couple of like big dramas that i was watching um but no it just and it stayed with me mm. um and this is why it was so lovely that you you invited me back because it was to talk about this drama rather because um it was so so lovely to relive it again actually and just kind of re-enjoy it and re-watch some clips and mm. listen to the soundtrack again and just be reminded of how what a great drama this is and so <laughs> it's good that you're doing this so that other people who may not have seen it like, to pick it up and well might be intrigued by this podcast and think I'm gonna <laughs> give this a go because it yeah. deserves it yeah I can't remember how this ended up on the docket for season four but I'm glad that it did I I'm really partial to musical dramas. We've covered Dream High on the show. I don't know if any other podcast has covered Dream High. Maybe it's just because it's a bit of a torture <laughs> to watch. But we did the hard work. If you want, if you want to know thoughts about that one, then scroll back and listen to it. But I have a soft spot for music dramas, and I feel like I've watched a fair share. And this one is very good. Um, I think that I was more annoyed that it was such a slow burn because, and I don't mind slow burns. Like we've covered something in the rain, which is pretty slow and some other shows as well that would fall into that category of slow burn romances. This one's real slow. <laughs> and I think it was more annoying that the, the pace at which people were speaking to each other was so slow. Right. And there were a lot of pregnant pauses, which are, rife in K-drama land where people just say something and then nobody responds back for a yeah. long minute and then yeah. they continue the conversation and so I had to put this one on 1.25 speed and that seemed to be a really good sweet spot for how I wanted this paced literally that one change of making it 1.25 speed made all the difference. I actually thought on a couple instances as I was watching the last few episodes, because I didn't do this yeah. for the whole show. I just did it for like the last few episodes. Right, right. I thought that the setting had like somehow come undone and it was still, it was just playing on regular speed. Right, right. Because it was so believable. I was like, they must be talking really fucking slow for me to think that this is actually the regular speed and the yeah. thing messed up. Like the plug-in messed up. So yeah, it's so funny because um I didn't realise till I read what you'd written that the director of this had directed uh uh Interest of Love. Interest of Love. Yeah. Yeah. So did you watch that from earlier this no. year? Right. No, so if you if you find Brahms Pregnant pause slow, you will <laughs> you will really struggle with interesting stuff. I just thought it was so. In, I was like, ah, do you know when you find out a director's directed two things and you're like, yeah, that makes it. sense. That yep. totally makes sense. Yeah, but um, I think yeah, that I mean, I think it's a real marmite drama. I think people who were watching it with me, kind of on socials at the time, were just like. Oh my god, this is how I hate this. And then there were other people like, oh my god, this is brilliant. Um, so <laughs> no, because yeah. that was pretty much my only complaint was this sort of like her taking their sweet time saying yeah. things, and 
I don't mind. I love the content of what they're saying. And I love the way that it's scripted. That's all great. I love that. Yeah. And I generally love a slow burn. Apparently, the show, in my mind, should have been on 1.25 speed. Like, that's the should have been the regular well, yeah. speed. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna defend it a little bit, right? Because I for me I felt like so I'm not I don't classify myself as a full introvert and um <laughs> I'm doing a podcast so I can't be that introverted, but I think there's an <laughs> element there's an element of like introverts that have to work out what they're saying in their head. Like, uh-huh. I feel like if you're an introvert that struggles to, and this is not obviously not me or you, struggles to kind of put our thoughts into words and actually marvel at the way that some people just go, right, well, this is what I think, and bam, you know, it's like, I'm going to lay it out here with this point, blah, blah, blah. and, you know, and I have people in my life that, that say this to me, like, I just can't talk like the way you do like I just don't my brain doesn't work that fast my mouth doesn't work that fast and I can't like I have to work out what I'm saying in my head before I can say it out loud and Mm -hmm. I feel like if you're that kind of person this drama will speak to you Mm -hmm. because there's these two people and they're grappling with like big emotions right there's a lot of stuff happening so I think it was for me very real that it took them so long to respond to each other and to, as you say, with pregnant pauses and things, because they're just people that are kind of still working things out and also not great at expressing themselves and also struggling to kind of put it into words. And I think mm-hmm. that they, they, and that's partly why I loved it so much because it was truly two introverts falling for each other. It wasn't like, I'm just going to kind of sketch introverted people, but I'm still going to make them, <laughs> drama people and they're kind oh, of like yeah. be, you know like Dawson's Creek level of like you know like un- like that I could speak about my feelings in a really like intelligent way even though I'm still a teenager type thing so it was really like believable for me I think and it added mm-hmm. for me added to that kind of authenticity of like these two are truly like you know these characters these introverted characters you make a fine point and I agree with you and the, just the other day I was on the phone with my mom and I told her that I was really tired um, because I was interacting with more people. I came, I just switched jobs recently and I'm spending my days in the office now and right. I've been working from home for the past few years. And I told her yeah. at the end of the day, I'm so tired because I'm talking to people and interacting with people and I have to be on all yeah. day long. So and that's draining. so different yeah. than how I was spending my time during the pandemic and working from home even, at, even more recently. And I told her I'm an introvert and this is taking a lot out of me. Yeah. Yeah. And she was like, you're not an introvert. And she like (laughs) fought me on it. And I was like, I swear to God, if I am in a social situation, I, it takes a lot of effort for me. Yeah. And when I leave, I'm drained. Yeah. Yeah. And I love to curl up and I'm a, such a homebody. I want to be home and (laughs) you know, that sort of thing. And Maybe I'm way more of an introverted, I'm sorry, extroverted introvert now than I was when I was in my younger years. Because in my younger years, I feel like I would have full on conversations in my head. And I was a much, I feel like over the years, I come to understand that there's people that like to just listen. Yes. You know, even before even responding, Uh, let alone the response that comes after. I just mean like people like to wait and listen and they're not quick to insert their own thoughts or quick to cut people off or something like that. And 
that is something that a lot of people don't don't understand like it doesn't compute that like yeah. i should just stop talking yes <laughs> you know <laughs> and absolutely i agree with your take that it, it was very authentic to have these two people be introverts and true introverts and not like they call them introverts but they're not really introverts um but I think as an audience member, I was really pressed about the way that they were talking so glacial pace in some conversations. Yeah. And I, I and then it's all important to me. I was like, this isn't even like a nothing conversation that these people are having. Every conversation to me was important. Every interaction yeah. meant something. It and was, so I yeah. was like, I can't skip this. So then I was like... You know, I was like, we have to let's go. Like, let's move a little. So that's where the one point twenty five came from. It is not a blight on the show. It might be just a blight on me. So I um, I think you mentioned earlier how it was uh, very not slow, but they were. Restrained, basically, and I love the themes of the show and how it's studied music and dreams and the cl- really inside baseball take on the classic classical music oh, industry oh, yeah 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 characters and relationships and there were some other another show that it reminded me of which was spring waltz i don't know if you've watched that show oh, I haven't, it's with no. han hyoju i want to say it's 2007 eight wow around there it was it was late 2000s and she falls in love with a very talented concert pianist right and even though that's a melodrama i don't know if i would classify do you like brahms as a melodrama maybe some episodes but not the whole thing and that show felt had the vibes like the relationship seemed to have the same sort of vibes where you know you had like very thinking feeling people who just loved each other and appreciated music and there was trauma with the music and you know all these things wrapped in a neat bow of a music (laughs) k-drama so um i don't know if you've have you watched a lot of music k-dramas like not really i don't think okay. yeah um have there been i definitely haven't watched dream high which you just mentioned well, yeah, and, <laughs> <laughs> and maybe we'll give that a pass um no i can't really think of any others that uh that i have watched actually um but there, yeah there's I mean, quite a few yeah. but i think they focus on bands a lot of the time right like the k-pop yeah. industry yeah but the classical music you've got like Spring Waltz, we have Five Fingers, which is a like 30 episode K-drama that I didn't even finish watching. I dropped it because I was like, this is too long. But it stars um, uh, Ji Chang-wook. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And this other guy, he was just in Jiri san What's that actor's name? Sorry, anyway, I can't. I don't know what's no, 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 it's totally fine. Anyway, those two are in like a piano rivalry. Right. Okay. Yeah. And there's this 
a special piano in their house that they don't know how it makes such a beautiful sound. <laughs> and there's a piano CEO company in the mix. Like it's, cr- I was, it was like a lot of piano, which what five fingers, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Beethoven uh, I- virus. Oh, oh, go ahead. No, you said Jitao and I just completely have blanked out because it's a drummer I dropped. The Sound of Magic. Ah, Sound of Magic. Oh, so I have go seen... into why you dropped it. Yeah. <laughs> I have seen another. So yeah, that's the only other music drama that I've seen. So yeah. Okay, we got Beethoven virus. We got Heartstrings, which this also reminded me of Heartstrings because in Heartstrings, they're in school, in music school. Right. And it's one of the members of CN Blue with, um, oh my God, the girl from Airs, Pak uh-huh. is, And she plays the uh, Kayakum, which is almost like a, it looks like a Korean version of a zither. Yeah. And she plays, so she's like in the traditional instrument uh, like section of the music industry, um, club, not club of the music school and then yeah. he is playing guitar and so he's in like the modern instrument right. part of the school and so there's like a, a rivalry between the traditional yeah. korean instrument people and then the modern guitar and bass and all this stuff and it's really cute so i enjoyed heartstrings back in the day uh, a lot more music dramas than that but those ones sort of relate specifically to me to this drama and then I also mentioned the comp Summer Strike already. I'm not sure. I I have an idea in my head, but have have you ever played or do you play an instrument? I used to play the piano. <gasps> so, yeah. I like, I mean, not to very high level. I mean, this is what I found interesting, right? So, um, I mean, this, this is not a spoiler, obviously. So, Puck and Bin's character from the start, we know that actually she has had to... Um, kind of overcome her her family's disapproval that she is playing the violin right and she's choosing to try and make a career out of playing the violin and I found it quite interesting from an kind of an Asian background that so many of us are encouraged to take piano lessons classical music instruments as an extracurricular thing in order for us to have it on our CV so that we can then qualify and go to a university like that's a whole like that's a whole thing, whether you're an immigrant Chinese person or you're living in China, right? That is just a thing that your parents mm. encourage you to do. Um, and there's, there's like generations and generations of people kind of playing instruments. <laughs> but unless you're going to be a concert pianist, right? No Asian parent wants you to actually then try to make a career out of it, right? They're just like, right. no, you're going to play it competently to put it on your CV, but like, God forbid you go and try and make a career out of it, right? Because we want you to go and, like, I don't know, be a lawyer or a doctor or, like, oh. you know, an accountant or whatever. I, we're not, we don't want you to choose something as difficult. And, uh, like, her parents say it in the drama, right? Like, you know, like it doesn't pay and it's really mm. kind of, um, it's not seen as a high profile job. And obviously, she had a great uh, degree before in business. And, and I just found it like an interesting commentary on, like Asian society of how mm. they view, um, how they push their children to do all this extracurricular music lessons, but then say, well, no, but no creative, like creative uh, arts is not not a career option. Mm. Like we want you to be, you know, yeah. I thought it was an interesting take, actually. Yeah, I 
I'm Hispanic. I, if you don't know, I'm Hispanic. And I, <laughs> I didn't grow up playing instruments, but I really wanted to learn how to play the piano. So I took, started taking piano lessons late in life. I started taking them when I was already in high school, ninth grade. And I think I only took it for like a year or two. And I right. went to Miss Hanalisa's house. <laughs> Which she lived in a um, predominantly Jewish community. She was, I think she was a Holocaust survivor, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Wow. And she would just do piano lessons out of her out of her little like condo. And she was so sweet. And I remember I went to my first lesson with her and or like consultation, I guess, because it wasn't a lesson yet. It was just like, you know, getting to know the the teacher and you know, what is the what's the timeline here? When are you available? And she looked at my hands and she goes, you have very small hands, <laughs> but, a, but a, I know a lot of great pianists who have small hands. And she was so sweet. She was like, you can make it work. <laughs> she, she basically was like, it's okay. And um, I, ha- I knew nothing. I didn't know how to read music or anything. So I was starting from ground zero and it was like pulling teeth. It was very difficult. And then I had to find the time to practice. It was yeah. this whole thing. Like it was this whole thing to fit into my life. I quit taking lessons with Miss Hannah Lisa because I was failing algebra. <laughs> my parents were like, it's either you practice or you pass your algebra class. It turns out that I'm actually really good at or was really good at math because I went into uh, some college courses and was taking like higher math and I had I'm really proud of this fact I had a math professor come and say you should get a math minor all you need is like these two classes these two three classes and she mentioned the name of the cla- names of the class and I was like that sounds terrifying I'm not taking those classes and getting a math <laughs> minor come on so get real so it never happened I have lost all of my math mathematics skills since um so it was just the teacher, the algebra teacher that I had during that tumultuous time that I was failing that class. I blame that teacher because I was good at math. Anyway, that's a, ta- a tangent. But I, I stopped taking Miss Hanalisa's classes and I had some really nice memories with her because she used to use a metronome on her on the piano to keep help me keep time. But then she, when she didn't use the metronome, she would count. And here's what she, I thought she would was about to keel over and die on me during the, the lessons because here's what she would do. <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to imitate her. Okay, here we go. She would go like this. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Like, I don't know if she just couldn't take a breath in between the counting. It would scare me half to death every time. She would inhale when she was saying the number and it was it was a it was really frightening as a child as a high school person I was I would like look at her like oh my god anyway that's Miss Hannah Lisa and then when I was in later in high school we had to choose our electives I chose three random electives none of the electives that I chose were what was given to me I got guitar one with Mr. Eves in high school this was a really highly coveted class position. Right. I don't know how. It was a God thing because I landed in that class and I loved it. I remember the first day, like 20 kids coming in at different points of the of the one class that I have trying to get him to sign 
like the transfer so that they could enter right. his class. And he's like, I'm maxed out. I can't. He was such a good teacher. And I loved playing guitar. I played guitar for many, many years after that. Oh, cool. Yeah. And uh, I asked my mom today why she never signed me up or my sister up for a classical music uh, instrument like violin, piano, something. Why she never signed us up for ballet or gymnastics or something when those are things that kids sign up for when they're really little, like yeah. five, six, seven, eight. And she goes, well, I took ballet when I was really little. My mom signed me up. And I was like, yeah. And she goes, but she forced me to do it. Okay. And I didn't have any interest in doing ballet. So I figured if you didn't have any interest in it, I'm not going to force you to do it. Like just matter of factly. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so... I could have been a concert pianist and Miss Annalisa could have been famous for being my teacher. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But that is my experience with uh, playing instruments. And I do not play any instruments anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So this show felt very like her little journey going through playing violin. I was like, I, I felt it deep in my bones. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm super impressed because they both learnt their instruments, right? So I think Part and Bin could play violin and then she kind of re-picked it back up. Yeah. And then Kim and Jay, like, actually learnt to play the piano. Like, I'm just so impressed. He had, like, a month? Yeah. He said he learned in a month. How do you learn in a month? How? You can't learn in a month. But anyway, like, still, I'm impressed. Yeah, it's really impressive that they played their own instruments in the show and that they looked pretty good, really believable. Yeah. I'm sure that, I mean, if I was someone on the production and I had a couple of actors doing their best, had minimal time to prepare to look like professional viol- a professional violinist or a professional concert pianist, I would dub them with a yeah. real <laughs> person who can look at the footage and actually play something that might be a little closer to the caliber that they need. Yeah. But that's neither here nor there. I'm not taking away from the fact that they actually learned how to play piano and violin for this show. Um, I, I think that this drama is old school and it's really hard to explain how it's old school other than like, I already pointed to spring waltz, which is an older K drama, but I think Love Rain also feels this way where you have two really timid and sensitive leading a leading couple and they're very introspective and feeling and I feel like maybe do you like Brahms has melodrama roots because K-dramas of yesteryear in the melodrama genre are like like this they feel like this couple where it's like everything is a big deal and all of these conversations are important and you don't have all of this like fluff, so to speak, like empty episodes yeah, because everything is interconnected. But anyway, um, that's the last thing that I'll say about that. Was there anything that really surprised you about the way that they portrayed music and the way that they portrayed the music school and chamber orchestra and stuff? 
Uh, no, I found it, well, like I said, I don't know much about the classical music world. So I found it like really interesting, but I actually really enjoyed that they made it so relatable because it's still <laughs> like a microcosm of like Korean society within the music world. Right. So you, you know, Kim Min-jae is like the superstar of the world um but he's very lonely at the top you know like in that kind of like i've just wrapped king the land right so we're chaebol drama and you know like all like you know he's going through his emotions but he's alone because he's at the top of the tree <laughs> and then she is like you know right at the bottom of the tree right so she is not only you know still a student violinist but she's also not a very talented one and doesn't you know isn't isn't getting the spots that she deserves and things um and then you've got some really awful professors um people that are really super selfish so it felt really like they'd put in like all our very familiar k-drama tropes but within this classical music world mm. um which I, I, you know, I really enjoyed. And then um, I think there's another observation I had, but I think it might be a bit spoilery. So we could leave that till, mm, till, okay. the, till the end. But I, I like that they kind of flipped the trope a little bit with the classical music. So yeah, mm, we can okay. discuss that. Yeah. Okay. So I think we're at that point. I think one, two things. OST, because you mentioned that you were listening to it. Yeah, I love the OST. You loved it. Okay. You didn't I, like I, it? <laughs> No, I was fine. I just, I think I only comment on OSTs when I get an earworm and right. I start and I like add it to all my playlists and I find it's really uh, repeatable. Yeah. But otherwise I'm like, oh, that's, that was pleasant. That was nice. Nothing stood out terrible about it. It was wonderful in the moment. Absolutely. But if you played it to me in a mix with other K-drama songs, would I be able to be like, that's do you like Brahms? Brahms. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I see what you mean. Yeah, no, there's one gummy track that I really liked that I thought was really good. So I mean, it's like still been on. So this drama, I've, I watched it a, a while ago now, and the OST tracks are still on my kind of like I have a rolling playlist. Um, yeah. And then I get sick of them, and then I have to shove them off um, because I can't hear them again. Whereas uh, the Brahms ones are still on there. Like I'm still listening to them. Oh, no. that's so Sorry. nice. <laughs> Sorry. It's, long, it's a sign of longevity. It's yeah. good. Yeah, it is a good sign. All right. The second thing is, what would you rate the show out of five's hold you bottles? Five being amazing, zero being ter terrible. <laughs> so I, I kind of like, at the time I gave this a nine, actually. Okay. Uh, so I score out of 10. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess the equivalent would be four. But like when I was revisiting a lot of this, I mean, maybe I've mellowed in my like K-drama critique, <laughs> but I was thinking, <laughs> like, I can't, I'd actually didn't, you know, there wasn't a lot that I disliked about it. So, but yeah, so probably four, four, but, four? but okay. yeah, but not because there's like major stuff that I thought this was not so great or they didn't handle this well. So I'm knocking a point off just, you know, yeah. So less that, that, that there's something wrong with it, just that it's like it's not knocking it out the park. Amazing. Yeah. OK, so I think I'll rate it either 3.5 or 4. I'm leaning towards 4. There's some things in the later episodes that um, we'll, we'll talk about in the spoiler section why that really bothered me. But other than that, I think it's really pleasant. It's a really easy watch for the most part. And you should definitely give it a try if you haven't already. I think... Do You Like Brahms is probably one of the more underrated shows for sure. 
Yeah. And I think, so I said at the top, I'm a romance fan and the romance delivers for me on this. You know, like my problems with this drama are not the romance per se for me. Uh, and I think there were so many moments that just made me really feel things. And I think the actors did just such a good job of portraying their emotions and that their like eyes was just so often brimming with emotions so they could have whole scenes as she said full of pregnant pauses um <laughs> that really made me feel stuff because they were doing so much of their acting through emoting and through their body language and through the way their eyes moved or mm. the way they looked and then looked down and um i just thought it was yeah it was really great mm -hmm. i agree all right, so with that being said, we're going to get into the spoilers section. So if you don't care about spoilers, we're going to we're going to keep going and you're going to come with us on this journey. We'll be back right after this. Hey, you want to come in? All right, we're on the other side of spoilers and I think we want to start where you left off. You said you had something that you wanted to say that was a little spoilery. And so yeah. we're going to start there. Right. I didn't mean to cliffhanger it, but like, it's good. It's good. <laughs> so what I really appreciated because we At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line. It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Talking about classical music and I've, you know, we talked about how before like a lot of people have this on their CV and they try. But I think so many Asian dramas and I think specifically Korean ones have this thing of showing people if you just work really hard, you mm. study really hard, you put your hours in, you will become successful. And this drama specifically says, no, actually, that might not work for you. You could yeah. play the violin and be so diligent and be practicing all the time and have calluses on all of your fingers. Um, but it just might not be there for you because that elusive thing called talent or the thing that elevates a normal pianist or a normal violinist to, to be some concert grade one is like a specific magical thing that you can't yeah. try 10,000 hours and achieve. Um, yeah. And I really loved that they made that part of this drama. Like I loved that her arc was that she put the violin away. Like this thing that was like, she had dropped everything, no. stopped her business career, restarted school, endured like her classmates kind of basically looking down on her and her being an outcast and because she was older than them and all the rest of it. And it was still not, good enough it's not enough yeah and that's just so antithetical to k-dramas so i really loved that i loved that that was her arc um and that I, it was... I think so too i think it's almost on par with being as compelling as their romance yeah is her journey and her heartbreak with the deep love that she has for yeah. playing the violin and and the violin yeah. in general and that's something that the show also juxtaposes against other students and against JYP yeah yeah <laughs> her 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 lover is yeah. that other students who have that quality that talent that drive hate their instrument 
And JYP, multiple occasions, was like, I don't enjoy playing the piano. Yeah. yeah. And the people that want it the most don't have what it takes. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a brutal reality. And I remember, like, going through the whole piano and starting late and Miss Hanalisa, like, being like, oh, it's late, you know, because she had kids that were coming in there, like, really little and playing very well. I have this stupid story that I have to tell. I'd be remiss if I didn't tell it. So the piano that I had at home that I would practice on was like an electric piano, but it had a bunch of settings and you could play some songs uh, like the piano would like light up. Right. And it would tell you like what what to press, but the piano itself would play the song on its speakers. Right. Whatever piano song. And my sister had a friend over. My sister's three and a half years younger than I am. And so her friend presumably was also young, right? Maybe three, four years younger than I am. She had a friend come over and all of a sudden I hear the piano going. Like they had pressed some buttons and the piano was playing some piano song. And I walk over and I was like, turn off the piano. I walk over. Her little friend is playing the piano and it was so good. I thought the piano was playing it itself. Yeah. Like I thought it was a track that came with the p- the keyboard. And I was shocked. She had, the way her little fingers were flying over the keys. I was stunned. Yeah. Stunned. And I hadn't, I, not for anything, but the little friend was Asian. <laughs> but I was like, I'm never going to get to that level. Yeah. Yeah. And I liked the piano a lot i did not love it the way that this character loves the violin yeah yeah and i think it's also because the drama starts with showing us that she made this momentous decision stop it you know to go and take it it. so you you assume by the end of the drama she's gonna gonna somehow yeah She's gonna, she's gonna, she's gonna rocky herself, you know, out of it and be all like well trained and like, you know, and <sighs> it was scary. It yeah. was scary how real it was. It was also scary how she was like a second class citizen in the school. So that, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. of her lack of talent. Yeah. And I thought the drama really started on a carefully, hu- like, how do I put this? It was humiliation. The drama started with humiliation because it had that whole intro sequence of her getting chewed out and humiliated by the conductor who had just dismissed her and the other seat next to her because he thought the violin section was too loud. He was like, okay, you're not playing today. She had already, she was like, but I practiced so hard. Yeah. And she started to like state her case and the conductor was not having it. He was extremely rude. And even when she said, he's like, what is your name? And she starts saying her name, Chesunga, and that means sorry in Korean, if you don't know how to spell it, because it's not spelled the same way as sorry, evidently. And I was like, oh my God. So it was like this little like who's on first gag that was happening, because he's like, I I know you're sorry. Stop saying you're sorry. What is your name? I'm asking your name. It was like, oh my God. It was painful. Yeah. So painful. So then from there, they start to craft this romance and you t- you're you taken for a ride because her journey as a violinist as well is extremely important to the show. And it gives, it's a huge source of heartbreak 
for for you as the audience member and certainly for the characters. Yeah. And I thought it was brave. I thought it was brave that the drama ended with her putting her violin away and just going and saying goodbye to it. She literally like has there's a little like goodbye ceremony to her violin. And I was like, oh, I almost cried when she because this is jumping to the end. But when she sells her violin, I have a story like that. I had a guitar that was collecting dust for years and years. It made the trip up with me after I moved out of my parents' house and it was just in my closet and I never played it. I never practiced on it. I was like done with it by that point. Yeah. And I went to sell it and I listed it and you know, I was, it was a public place. I was meeting up with these people and I had these thoughts. I was like, this guitar meant a lot to me. And I remember buying it with my dad and like playing it in the store and all of the times that I practiced on it and played on it and I was getting really emotional. But then I was like, it's not lit like it's not living it doesn't have a good home i'm not playing i had all of these thoughts as i was selling the star and the family that came to buy the guitar they they looked pretty um worse for wear to put it to put it mildly and the dad picked it up and started playing the guitar and he played so well he just played like a little lick and i was like this guy's gonna use it this family's gonna enjoy the instrument and it was i was like here i would have given it at that point i would have just given it to them for free because i was like if it goes to a good home then great it's played with yeah Yeah. it's like toy story 3 it is (laughs) it's like toy story 3 um but yeah when she starts crying yeah uh saying goodbye to the instrument and that she's gonna sell it i was like oh my god (laughs) yeah i feel this i feel yeah she's so good at crying as well she really kind of makes you feel yeah she's Ugh. so good it's terrible they say the name of the show in the show because she asked him at the airport in episode one do you like brahms <laughs> i love when they do that in shows yeah. and in movies okay it's like a low-hanging fruit but i love it and he says no <laughs> he says no i don't like brahms because of this whole like supposed uh, love triangle that he had with Claire and Schumann two other composers of the time and that mirrored JYP's own tumultuous relationship with his best friend's girl and the best friend he also had like a third wheeling situation Um, and I like that the two they learned to like get through their complexes and him not liking Brahms by the end he's like I only I played your your three composers that you had like talked to me about in episode one and developed this pro music program that got you into this internship mm-hmm. that was really powerful to me that he ends up playing Brahms and you know he chooses oh, oh, these songs yeah yeah <laughs> that mean a lot and she understands because she's part of that world so yeah. it was an, it was really nice. I'm going to switch gears for a second before we get too sappy. Um, I really hated her best friend. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. I thought I was like being really catty about it, but no. No. I really I found, disliked her. I found her a bit. I just, I first of all, like I just didn't feel like they were friends. Like, they didn't feel like an authentic friendship. Um, I felt like, therefore, she was a bit... Because, of, also, like, so, just let, let me lay out. I am not a big fan of love triangles. 
So to have basically <laughs> two two of them in one drama yes. was just like I'm a bit over them. But I mean, they, I think they did the the kind of the Brahms and Clara Schumann thing, like mirroring yeah. one it was yeah. okay. I I could do that, but the second one felt forced and mm. and then because obviously she is part of the best friends part of this i felt like she was just kind of she just felt a bit yeah a bit fake and it just didn't feel very authentic and then they jammed in this like second love triangle i yeah. just yeah 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 i didn't like it at all it was a little bit icky the best friend i think in episode three it's her birthday right it's chase Wa's birthday and the friend comes by and says, I'm not going to be able to make it to your party later. Here's your gift. Mm. And she start the best friend only comes to drop off the gift and cry and bawl over the guy who now wants nothing to do with her, her ex, which is the crush that Che Sung has on him. Yeah. And it makes that, it makes Che Sung feel really small and foolish and, why the hell would the friend do that on the yeah. her birthday? Yeah. It was like, this isn't about you. It's my birthday. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. It was very yeah. annoying. No, very annoying. And then later on when she basically has a go at her for having feelings for him. And it's just <sighs> kind of like, she doesn't get to choose. And she didn't act on them. Because you know, out of yeah. respect for you, and you just chew her out for it. It's just kind of like, oh, I was a bit like, I just wanted to chuck things at her. <laughs> and then she said, "Oh, it's not because you liked him; it's because you lied to me." That's what she was like. Oh, I'm upset at you because you lied to me for all these years. And I'm like, get the fuck out of here! <laughs> like, who would say, "Hey, I have a pretty strong crush on your yeah. boyfriend now, your ex," and hang the girl code or the bro code like this was so yeah. totally uncalled for and she had she had no leg to stand on it felt like the bff thought she was the main character that's a good take yeah yeah i, I yeah i kind of felt like they wrote her in that that like she just kept thinking they were meant to be Right? Yeah. Like her her and this guy were meant to be. And he was just so not into her. It wasn't even a love triangle in some ways because he was really not into her. <laughs> I agree. I agree completely. Um, and then they tried to bring her back later. I thought this was good if only the relationship was believable that them yeah. of yeah. them being friends. Because they bring her back later when she's really Che Song is really down. And the violin repair shop guy, who was that part of yeah. the other bit of that triangle, uh, calls the BFF. And he's like, basically, I must, we don't see that conversation, but I'm glad that he did that. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's part of the sh parts of the show. I'm like, I could actually have done without this bit. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. um, in episode three, we get this sort of like conversation at the dinner table Can music comfort people? Is music a comfort? And I thought this was a little bit of a stupid conversation because I'm like, of course music can comfort, right? Like there's even music therapy now. When I was a kid, there was no music therapy, okay? Um, but did you have thoughts about this romantic notion about music and the way that some of these players, like these instrumentalists, were like, I don't know if music can comfort, whatever. They were a little bit pessimistic about it. 
Well, I found it at macro level. Like, I think it mirrored, like, I think it was really good for Kim and Jay's character, so JYP's, like, arc, in that, you know, like, he's the flip of Sung Ah, right? He is so prodigiously talented, but mm-hmm. piano, pl- piano playing for him g- brings him no joy. He has no joy. It is just a way to make money. It's like a thing that's pressure. It's the thing that means that he has to take sleeping tablets to sleep. Um, and it's not something he gets any kind of joy out of, let alone comfort from anymore, right? And I think there is also like a commentary about, which I think I feel as well, of just what happens when you turn your passion and your hobby into a job and it mm-hmm. becomes like the thing that you just des- like you, your livelihood depends on it does it just erode that passion for so i mean like mine's this very small thing but like i love knitting and crochet and part of the thing when you're knitting and crochet is people meet you and you go wow wow you've made this like you should totally sell this right um <laughs> but like nobody wants to pay actual money for things that have been like made handmade and the hours that go into it like your average adult jumper would take 80 hours so if I charge <gasps> myself a minimum pay like no one's paying me like 800 pounds or like a thousand US dollars for a hand knit jumper right that's just not not happening um and so like but people always go oh you should do this as a job and so a it's economically not viable but b it's also like but then I wouldn't be doing it for myself, right? It would no longer be my hobby, my passion, my joy, my comfort. It would be something that, you know, I have to do like whatever my customer wants me to do, even if it's hideous right. and in the wrong color or whatever, you know, <laughs> thing that might erode my joy. Uh, and it becomes something that's not, you know, it becomes a chore because all jobs are a chore, right? Even the ones you love. Um, so it's kind of, I thought it was I thought it was a good conversation in that sense because it was like asking this general more general question of like what happens to you when actually you've picked up this instrument and it must have given you joy at some point but now like several years down the line does it no longer are you almost becoming to hate it because it's actually become something that you're tied to you know Absolutely I think you hit the nail on the head I think that um basically comes in and says look songs mean different things to different people and one person might derive joy from something that you hate and you know she kind of defines it that way and it still takes the out of the equation the fact that it's a job for jyp yeah and then he's actually suffering for the craft totally yeah 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 so she does have a very romantic notion of living and playing music as her career versus JYP, who's in the trenches and really feels the strain of this life, how demanding yeah. it is, yeah. how he's constantly living out of a suitcase. And, yeah. you know, not to mention the financial strain that his family puts on him because his exactly. father's constantly yeah. getting in debt. So. Yeah. And then all the pressure from his agent on staying on the top of his game and like, you know, being potentially overtaken by some other brand new star in the pianist world. And yeah, <laughs> just feel for him so much during this drama. Like I think he, they do a really good job of kind of showing how he's quietly, like how hard this is for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then later on, this conversation comes into play, I think in episode 14, where she starts to, this is when she's, thinking of giving up the violin and she they have like the flashbacks of this conversation about music and bringing you comfort 
and she's like hugging the violin as well while she's thinking of all this and um she goes to open the violin case and the bridge has fallen the bridge has collapsed on the violin and you're like oh no that's a little on the nose for me personally all right yeah like that sort of thing it happened multiple times in the later episodes and i was like this is a little cheap like this you know we can we were really smart earlier you didn't need to have the violin bridge collapse to show that yeah <laughs> she, I it, get, it's yeah you know what i'm saying yeah, I do. well actually because I lo- a lot of i think the beauty of this show was all the subtleties you yeah. know so some some of the stuff like i didn't even notice until like afterwards i read like other people what they wrote about the drama and stuff and i'm like oh i didn't even notice that that was so and I, like i think for example like the way that, that their relationship like one of the things I loved about them was how organically they kind of grew together and the show showed how they came to care for each other and they did it in loads of tiny little ways and it was really Mm. really subtly done and really beautiful yeah so the bridge was a bit like oh this is a bit k-drama it's just just a bit we get the symbolism it's like yeah I get it yeah (laughs) it's a little like you know spoon-fed in episode three he plays because she's very cut up and it's her birthday. She just had this thing happen with her best friend who's crying over the guy that she has a crush on. It's this whole complex thing. And she's not feeling up for going to the party. And um, I think he's in the practice room and he plays Moonlight Sonata for her. And then transitions it into happy birthday. Yes. And I was like, I was holding on to the wall. I was like, this is amazing. This is genius, right? To do this because she starts protesting. She's like, I don't really feel like listening to music right now. I don't feel like listening to this song. And then he transitions into happy birthday. And I was like, oh, my God, I am sold. If a boy did this for me, major Kennergy, but also I would buy it. Yeah. Yeah. So that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if. It just reminded me, the one thing I have to say, when we have classical, having said that I'm not really into classical music, um, one thing when they do do classical music, I wish they would pick some other pieces and not pick like the, like, the literally the most Moonlight overplayed. Sonata. Like Moonlight Sonata, like in Twilight, it was flipping Claire de Lune. I was Claire like, just, the fucking like, Lune. Like, Claire the fucking Lune. I'm just like, yeah, let's just like pick a different track. Let's not all play the same thing that's on like mm. the classical 100 like CD, yeah. right? Let's just yeah. kind of, but yeah, I, I was like, come on guys. Let's, I mean, I'd like to learn some <laughs> other pieces. I'd like to learn, you know, find something obscure to love and then we could all get to know it a bit better. So yeah, that might be my pet peeve for this. I agree completely. I agree. I think it was the transition that I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I hear it. It's happening. <laughs> Um, but then he gets up from the piano and says, asks her, would you like to be friends? Yeah. And then he says, no, we have to be friends. And then he goes and hugs her and says, I'm doing this as a friend. Oh, they were so cute. Because he's just like comforting her. And uh, I like their date when they go on their first date and they're walking uh, by the wall at yes. the palace. Yes. That he said multiple times he likes to take a stroll by the palace. And she's like, really? (laughs) I guess it's a little cliche maybe. But um, I appreciate it. I appreciate these moments where you see them just vibing with each other and making 
small talk and having a little bit deeper conversations and it's good. I, I liked all that. Yeah, I really lo- what I really loved and given obviously that they're introverts was just how quickly they open themselves up and start telling each other things they haven't told their BFFs about themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously crushes and whatever, but just just like opening up. It was almost like they kind of got like, I mean, you know, I'm, as I said, a romance fan. So I do always love it when like two people meet and they kind of realize that they're this is someone that they can bear their soul to a little bit like that Mm -hmm. always gets me and I think that they did that so well right from the start right right from the start she's kind of quite honest about how she feels about this that and the other and because they're so introverted and closed like this is like the first time we as an audience hear some of this as well right so I think that was really I thought they did that so well yeah what did you think about him and second female lead Dong Kyung together and their hang up which was pretty consuming for a large part of the show um so this so i did struggle with this like like i said i'm not <laughs> yeah, a big, yeah i'm not a big um love triangle fan i found her character really difficult so i think it sounds like we had a similar journey in that most of the drama i was like i just do not like this person at all <laughs> she's a like, bitch like, oh my yeah, god like, and also why does she have two two not just one but two really amazing people for for her like what for is what funny? yeah for what for what exactly for what she's not great she no, sucks. she's not great no and and neither of them are with her for the money which is something i could i could Ooh. i'm like okay maybe for the money and the the influence because your family is like you know this amazing like musical like whatever you know family um and for the for the prestige of it but no that's not the reason you're with her you like her because i don't know i literally don't don't know know why you like yes i don't know why they liked her she was not charismatic she was very dry she seemed to have no sense of humor she She was was rude rude yeah rude she was mean to uh chesonga as well yeah she seemed to have only one expression throughout the show (laughs) and which was distaste it was distaste like she was annoyed or judging everyone around her at all points and i particularly thought that she was cruel in episodes five through six or so when she breaks up with um the cellist with the he'll know like i thought that was terrible because she breaks up with him and he's trying i think they're in an outdoor um what are those called like the tented oh the pojong cha yes yes and he's trying to convince her that she's imploding their relationship for something that she thinks is better which in this case is jyp yes but you know it's not it'll make her uncomfortable eventually that she'll regret it eventually the grass is not always greener on the other side and that she and she still does it anyway she still calls it quits with him and his crying in that scene was so good so good so good i mean as much as i bitch about her like it's still like it gave us that scene it gave us another not that we really needed it but another kim sung cho looking wounded (laughs) and like heartbroken and yearning and just like oh my heart my heart i know i know our poor boy but then later she tells the foundation director, Youngin, I think they call her Nuna throughout the show. She tells her that they broke up 
and he's there like Hyunno is there in the concert hall where they're talking and she goes ape shit in front of the Nuna character because she asked him did you intend to marry me with what confidence did you think you had anything to offer me Tell me why they liked her. She's a shit person. She is horrible. She's horrible. And also, like, they kept flashing back. Like, they kept flashing back to that scene in the concert, like, theatre bit where they said, this is JYP now and and, and uh, the second male, uh, second female lead. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the kind of, like, confession that wasn't the confession. But I think I think when we got to, like, the fifth replay of this <laughs> like, flashback, I was Enough. like, Enough. Enough. I'm like a bit over it. Like, actually, could you just show me why he liked her? Rather than why? this scene, this rather than this scene, could you show me a time when she deserved your adoration? Because then mm. maybe I'd get it a bit more. But I know. I know. Yeah. yeah, we had we both had the same issues with this character. Um, and then her threatening at various points, Che Sung-a, like she shows up in front of her house, in front of Che Sung-a's neighborhood. And says that her and JYP have 15 years of history. Stay out of our business. Yeah. I was like, what the hell? Where did this guy? If I was chasing on, I'd have no idea what she's talking about. Why Why she would come and tell me this? Because at this point, they're not even together, really. Yeah. It was crazy. It was. So I completely was on Chesunga's side. Did you Did you take sides in their relationship at all? Like, did um, you find that you were uh, sort of on JYP's side as far as he had a lot of uh, the way that he was behaving was warranted and, you know, forgivable? Or were you on Che Sung-ah's side? I was Che Sung-ah's side. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. there, were, there were times when I'm just like, because let's be fair, like, as, as beautiful as this drama did subtlety, there were also times when it, it did lean into the tropes, right? And so, like, partway, like, mi- like towards the end when it does that whole miscommunication thing of she misheard or misunderstands, like, him kind of being the accompanist to the second female. And I'm like, <sighs> you could just explain. You could just talk. And you could also tell her, like, your money issues and you could just tell her like because she doesn't feel like you're talking to her right yeah you could just talk you could just talk i mean it gave us antsy scene so i'm just like i get it i get it i get like that's why they did it but yeah no all the time i did feel like okay so first of all like i just feel the drama did such a good job of as we said making her an introvert but she is so brave like she, she like throughout this drama right she is consistently putting herself out there and you know because she's i mean this is flipping hard for anybody to do but it must be so much more harder when you're such an introvert um so she tells him that she, you like seeing when she tells him she likes him oh yeah perfect like, example and and you do you want to read the thing because you wrote like an interview she gave right about yes, that scene yeah. she talked about that scene and it was really um touching the way she talked about their chemistry and she explained that in episode six it wasn't that i meant to confess my feelings but after seeing his face everything just came out uncontrollably i had my hand on my chest and i could feel my heart beating so it seems like she's a little method yeah (laughs) because she was feeling some type of way during that scene and you could tell that it was 
authentic and very yes. organic. Yeah. The way that it just sort of spilled out of her. Yeah. Like, I like you. Yeah. And I felt it, you know, like I've been I've been that person, that thing, that person that's kind of like, I don't think you'd like me back. And you're like way too like, you know, about out of my league, which is I think how she feels, right? This person mm-hmm. is so out of my league, but oh, like I've got all these feelings and then suddenly like, and then suddenly you're asking me what's wrong and I'm just like, I can't pretend that like I'm okay because obviously I'm not okay and like, here's my feelings. And so it felt so real. I was just like, and but she was so brave as well, you know, to just bear her heart. You know, in, in, in that situation where she feels like, it's just one-sided like for her you know it's just it's just from her side so -hmm. she's not saying it to like elicit like oh I like you back like I know she knows that this is not you know um yeah and then the ice cream kiss can we talk about the ice cream scene um take it away take it away I made a TikTok about it because I loved it so much but absolutely please what did you what did you think about the ice cream kiss I just love that. Um, well, first of all, I love that it turns out that he didn't really like ice cream. So it this was is so just believable. Like, this is so, so believable. So, yeah. Yeah. He just, that he's like, I just, uh, do you want to grab ice cream? He basically yeah. just like pulled it out of thin air, even though he doesn't even like ice cream, just to spend time with her. And then later yeah. on, she, they're eating ice cream together. But he's not eating. He's not eating it. <laughs> and she's like, what is wrong? And he's like, mm, I don't really like ice cream. <laughs> so that's was, really cute. That was already cute as, I mean, God, they're just so cute. That was already cute as, and then they lean in because then her, his ice cream falls. And then she, she's like, you know, you know, they're about to kiss. And, and then she does it, right? She initiates she kisses it. Him. She kisses him. And like, I'm just like, you go girl. Like you just, you know. Like it must have been also really hard. And then, and it's just so cute because then she kisses him and then she suddenly like draws back and sit, like you could kind of feel like she goes, oh shit, like I, I kissed him. <laughs> like, oh, like what was I doing? And then he just goes in for like round two and then yeah. I'm just like, oh. And then, and then the ice cream is melting and then we are all melting. And I was like, oh, this is such a great scene. I love it's that perfect. scene. perfect. Yeah, she puts down her own ice cream. So it's like, <laughs> I got to dedicate myself to the sweeter thing. And this kiss is sweeter than the ice cream right now. Yeah. I adored that scene. And yeah, she's quite brave. I think even just the fact that she went to business school, graduated with a business degree, and then was like, I'm going to go back to school for violin. And she'd never played the violin before. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. That is, that is bravery. That's maybe something more because And even her dad was like, do you even, like, are you even talented at playing the violin? <laughs> the family's, like, befuddled yeah. by her decision. And, of course, they don't support her, which is really sad. And um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I like this family at all. But, but quite, I guess, like, in the context, in the social context, I think completely understandable. But yeah, I love I love that she is such a brave character, but she doesn't look it, right? So it's that juxtaposition yes. of like, they don't have to always be warriors and they don't have to be like a king in the king's affection and be all like, you know, I'm alpha. Like she is <laughs> so, so, so strong and so, so brave. And then even then later when she, um, she decides that she's going to break up, you know, and she does it oh my God. 
for herself. Like she's going to put herself, even yeah. though she likes him so much, she she's like, I'm doing this for me. This mm-hmm. isn't this isn't working for me. Yeah. Uh, and I found that really organic and also really brave and took courage. And yeah. I agree completely. I like that she she brings up, I think, in voiceover, can she beat time, which is two things that she's trying to work out in her mind and heart. Can she beat the time that other people have yeah. on her? Like, as far as her musical ability, she is way behind everybody yeah. else in school. Yeah. And even his JYP's agent comes and has like multiple terrible conversations with her where he's just putting her down and giving her a reality check that she'd never requested. And he's like, there, you can't beat time. Everyone else has had practice, been practicing and taking lessons for over a decade. And you're just starting like whether you're good or bad, it doesn't matter. You can't beat them. Yeah. And in her in the relationship between JYP and Jung Kyung, the second female lead, it's the same thing that she's yeah. questioning, like, can I beat this time that they've spent together? Yeah. Like, I don't have this history with him. And how am I gonna get you know, he's she's everywhere in his life. Yeah. Like she goes to his house. She requests to go to his house, which is also really brave, right? Early on in the relationship, she's like, Can I come up to your house? Yeah. yeah. And she sees like the hank the handkerchief that she gave him, and uh, he's funded basically by her family. His entire yeah. livelihood depends on on her, and so on and so forth. The list goes on with how she's been imprinted all over JYP, and she's like Che Sung was like, "How can I compete yes. with this?" Yeah, and it's a valid question. Yeah. Talking about their relationship, the elitism, which I think you touched on earlier, was probably the most like frustrating part of the show to me. Like never never mind the two love triangles and the second female lead from hell. I thought the elitism and the way that there's like a clear hierarchy in the school and uh the music community and I couldn't fathom how JYP could let his piano competition teacher speak so badly of his girlfriend at this point. Yeah. And how her internship buddy as well was saying like, why would a world-class pianist date an ordinary violin student? Yeah. Yeah. Cause she's just ordinary. It was, it was a lot. And I was feeling that along with the character. That was something that was running throughout the show was just this, the way that the community is so mean. Yeah. Yeah. It was so hierarchical. Right. But that's why then, then that also gave like one of the other scenes that I really loved when he was just, you know, he was, when they were together and people were asking them like, you know, is this rumor real? And he's like, yeah, she's my girlfriend. Like I'm, we're dating. And then they sit next to each other in the canteen and then they just basically do, because they just do a lot of this like shy smiling at each other. Like they can't stop yeah. smiling at each other, but then they kind of stop and then they start again because they kind of like, can't not stop smiling. And I was just like, oh, they're so adorable. They're so cute yeah. together. I love them. Yeah. Yeah. The exploitation of the students by the professors. Yes. Disgusting. 
<laughs> and they badger them. They insult them. The teachers are condescending to them. Yeah. They pin all of, like, the professors pin all of their own dash dreams and musical aspirations on the students. And not only do they live vicariously through them, but they, they're they simultaneously gaining esteem and clout and position yeah. from attaching their name to their most successful students. And yeah. this blew my mind. I don't feel... Like we have that cult in our culture over here in the West. So I was like, this is like a whole new thing where you have these students who make it and then somehow like the teachers also in the same sentence. Why? Yeah. yeah. That's really interesting because you know how you said like this drama kind of felt like a bit old school to you. So this part of it felt very old school to me because I mm. think that's quite it's quite an Asian Confucian concept you know the whole like Confucian thing of a master and their like their their pupil and how a successful pupil reflects well on their master so for me it felt like these were kind of themes that had been so the fact that they, you, these two quite bitchy professors and they're like at each other like the, whole, the two women professors yeah. um it felt really old school to me so actually I ended up kind of enjoying it because I found that bit like a little bit melodramatic like melodrama like old school <laughs> melodrama like they were just yeah. it was like it was just so OTT and they were just so bitchy and they just hated each other so much that I was like oh, okay I'm just this bit's not like this is just the mellow butt of this drama like they're kind of like taking the pee rather than it being like a true reflection of kind of what might go on in the classical world so that's right, like yeah right. so it was it was a little bit jarring to watch and to have the students get in the crosshairs of these petty rivalries and the those two music professors who don't one actually did teach the students it felt like yes whenever yeah. she was having the private lessons with yeah. that one girl who had a, a really overbearing mom she was teaching her on the yeah. other hand whenever we saw the other professor with Chesonga on those private lessons it was I was like, how is Chesonga keeping it together? Because she's not even paying attention. She's not giving her any notes. She's not teaching her anything. And then she had to do the event and then not get invited. Like she did all <gasps> that work and then I was so angry. So. I was livid. I was livid when that professor said that that she was like, Oh, I only invited the best students, the best players. And so of course you're not. <laughs> A member of the chamber orchestra, which the chamber orchestra itself was like a pyramid scheme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. The <laughs> students, the players themselves, were buying all the tickets, and they were the like. There was no. Oh my god, it was so frustrating. But, um, I I just couldn't get over that that bitch of a violin professor who, I mean, even later. She's at some sort of event from the Kyungsu Foundation that happens at the school. And in front of all of the Kyungsu Foundation girlies, the bitch violin professor says, you couldn't ask for a better wife for a performer. Nowadays, women all have their own job, keeping them busy. But honestly, for musicians like Junyong, who go on tour, they need a wife who packs their bags and uh -huh. manages their schedule. That's how they can focus on their music only without having to worry about bothersome things like managing their money.
It's so a head scratcher. It's so old school. That's what it is. That's the bit that reminds. I think yeah, that's the bit that felt like, like old school. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. And then I love how you had that Kyungsu uh, Nuna go. People really just say whatever they please. Yeah. Like people just flap their lips together. <laughs> and she goes, "Not everybody is an adult just because they are older." Yes. I love her character. Oh, I loved her character. I thought she was such a gem. I really enjoyed her inclusion yeah. in the the whole show, yeah. really. I love um, I love the actress actually. So, oh, yeah. yeah, I love her too. Yeah, that is I have her. So Jonghyun. Yes. So, she is also in Interest of Love. But oh. she is but she is playing the mum of Yoo Yoon-suk. And oh. I think there's like a decade between them. I was just like, come on now. She's what now she's in she's just like mum rolls now. Mm. It's like she's not that old, guys. Come on. So yeah, that was yeah. a bit yeah. Anyway, I digress. No, it's fine. It's fine. Um I think that the whole JYP doesn't can't play piano the way he wants to and never has play piano the way he wants to is also a really important part of the show and really poignant because whenever he has these lessons with this terrible terrible competition teacher um who like is mentally traumatizing all of his students evidently oh, and yeah. especially jyp yeah he's constantly telling him to pander to the judges and to basically dumb it down and play it in the most respectable the most like appeal to the the common denominator basically yeah. versus playing it with the feeling and emotion and maybe slight difference from the pandering like the majority and getting a perfect score from like one person and making one person feel something and i was like that's powerful like we could sit there and talk about that for a long time but <laughs> I, I like that. And he ends up saying, like, can I not even play the piano the way I want to? And the teacher's like, no, you can't. Yeah. It's really interesting because actually I think it's a parallel as well. So um, have you heard of Lang Lang? Uh, no, I don't. So, don't so. Lang Lang is a very famous pianist from China. So he's probably the most famous pianist that China has ever produced. Um, and he started when he was three obviously and um, yeah and he's and he's done interviews about how like um he he was basically like pressured into doing lots of anyway i i digress so one of the themes of and there's a, there's a racist element to it as well but one of the themes of uh the chinese classical music scene or even the east asian musical scene is this kind of like uh, and again slightly racist kind of viewpoint that uh east asian people are very technically good but not necessarily have this kind of appreciation or this artistry or this authenticity of voice that maybe western musicians have because they you know there's this kind of like because you know like chinese there's a chinese like a racist chinese trope is that we're all robotic automatons and that we're really good at kind of following instructions and doing it like everybody can do the same move at the same time in a really orchestrated way but we can't think for ourselves because we're kind of robotic like that and so Pianists are like technically, so people who do then, you know, East Asians that then do the classical music and learn an instrument are like technically very proficient, but yeah, don't necessarily 
have this artistry thing. So I also thought that that was like his teacher was kind of representing like that world of like be somebody who is technically good and pleases everybody and don't be too individual and express your personality and your you know uh your emotions through your piece and be too idiosyncratic like because you should just fit in because like the asian thing is to fit in and not stand out i am shocked well not shocked how do i put this i have never heard that about musicians and artists from southeast asia ever and so that was shocking in and of itself. But I am so glad that you're here to, to have these great nuanced takes and and call out some of these maybe stereotypes if you're looking at, the, at it nicely. But I literally, you blew my mind right now about that take and that viewpoint about the racist stereotype. And like, I never thought of it like that. Yeah. I never thought. Right. And maybe it's just, you know, I come from a different culture and like individuality is everything. And yeah. that's why you, you know, gravitate towards certain performers because they make you feel a certain way or they talk about something that in their lyrics that like speaks to you. And classical music is really difficult to make a name for yourself to me because the music has been on the page for sometimes centuries. And countless people have played it. And what are you going to bring to the table that's new and fresh and different? Yeah. No, I totally agree. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was interesting. I I felt like that's why I actually appreciate another element of why I appreciated the drama that it was set in this setting that was kind of had a wider social commentary, I think, like on. Mm. Yeah. Like I said, that it's very much kind of something that lots and lots of people do in Asia just for the extracurricular credits and not necessarily Mm -hmm. in and of itself. Yeah. Right. Not for the romance of it. Yeah. Or the love of it or the creativity, the artistry of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I uh, really, I guess the last thing that I wanted to talk about, about JYP was that he was so wrecked, like, with his soulless life that he's lived as a pianist and as a student and that he's the golden ticket for his family, the checking account that they dip into when his dad squanders more money and he feels indebted and owned by the rich family, by Jung Kung's family who gave him everything. They gave him his shot, gave him the foundation money and they continually pay his family's debts under the table and it's like he can't live without them. Yeah. Like he can't amount to anything without their wallet. And it's maddening for him to keep this toxic lifestyle. Yes. That he's, it, and it goes into like what we were saying earlier about he's never been able to enjoy his piano playing. Well, this is a huge part of it too that he's been beaten into submission and he's been bought and paid for, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So. The romance fan in me also loves that his, his setup because he's so lonely, right? I love a lonely hero. Yes. <laughs> a lonely, damaged hero. Um, and yeah, and I, I love that. I love how they, they set it up in the drama. Like, it's not in your face that this is the thing that he's going through. That you just kind mm-hmm. of like peel back the layers and realize that he, you know, with with the whole like, I'm this top tier concert pianist comes all of this pressure and 
he's lonely at the top kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I mm-hmm. thought that the drama did a really good, and then like Kim Min Jae himself did a really good, he was so, it was a really physical performance actually because they're so introverted and they don't say a lot. So I felt like they were really showing their acting chops through mm. really subtle, like the way he held his body, the eye contact and stuff. And mm-hmm. like, yeah, just really great. I agree. I agree. Um, when they break up, which I was fully supportive of Chae Sung-Gwan breaking up with him, actually, yeah. as a matter of fact, I was like, yeah, this should happen earlier. Um, it's, of course, raining outside. And that's what I mean by in the later episodes, it gets a little cheap with like the K-drama yeah. tropes and the cliches where earlier they had this whole scene where she gave him an umbrella. It was raining. He didn't have one. She gave him one. Then they break up. Of fucking course, it's raining outside when she walks out and he gives her back the umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I hated it because they didn't need it. Right. I didn't need to do that. Well, actually, because, yeah, in juxtaposition, the other really, really, really great scene that I really loved was his initial confession to her. So... So let me set this up. So she, he had said, I need to have a conversation with you and uh, I need to tell you something. So she then all starts thinking, oh my God, like, what, what could he be telling me? Like, could he be telling me, could he be confessing his love back to me or whatever? And then she's all like really tense and nervous. And then suddenly he goes, um, so I'm playing the piano for Jungkook. <laughs> and she's just <laughs> like, she's- what? what the like WTF like why are you telling like why are yeah. you telling me this why is this relevant to me like you've mm-hmm. just kind of told me that you were telling me something so I thought you were here to tell me something big like right. just basically you know and she one said- more thing like one more thing that Jung Kyung has like won over her yes is that now suddenly he's her accompanist yeah. accompanist and she's struggling like Chesonga has been struggling to get a good accompanist for her yeah. grad school audition. And it's like, like right where it hurts, right? Yeah, right where it hurts. And then he said that this is the really important thing he wants to tell her. And also we as in the audience know that he wants to do it like, cause he doesn't want her to misunderstand and stuff. But my heart's with her. I'm just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, seriously, mm-hmm. man, like seriously, this is the way Read you're going to Read the room. Her. Yeah. And then, and then he drops the bombshell of like, actually, I like you. And then they have their kiss with the piano and the discordant notes. And I was like, oh, ah! I love this scene. <laughs> I love this scene. Yeah, that's a really good A plus scene. And I that then they come up with that thing between them that's like, tell me the important thing first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really like that too. I know. I really I like know. that too. Yeah. <laughs> so this was okay for me in the episode 15 they both get sick and this is done in like a montage sequence so it's not dwelled upon that much but she gets sick because she's decided to give up the violin because that's her great love right she loves playing the violin and then he gets sick at the same time because they broke up because she was his greatest love not the piano like who gives a fuck about the piano (laughs) so I, I was like, okay, this is okay. I'll allow this trope of like, yeah. oh, they get sick because they're heart sick, basically. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, did you foresee that Jung Kyung's grandmother would die? Um, I was quite shocked, actually. 
I think yeah, when it happened. Um, but then I realised, I guess they were telling us that she was not, she wasn't, she was ill. She was <laughs> ill? She was ill. Okay, she so here's, I, I agree with you and I, I, I'm, the fact that they were saying, oh, she had a hospital stay, she was ill and people were kind of like treating her very gingerly whenever she was out and about. That's fine. But she seemed in good health the rest of the show. And so I thought we were free and clear of some elderly person just up and dying on us in the middle of the show. Not the case at all. You get a really cheap shot, right? Where Jung Kyung just sent the email or is about to send the email that she's going to turn down the professorial position. Yeah. And her violin string snaps. (laughs) To signify smash cut the grandma died we're already like she's already dead and we're at the funeral i was like what the fuck (laughs) like this is so (sighs) it couldn't have been more old school k-drama in that moment yeah i so agree i so agree yeah it's like again we were just talking about all this nuance and meaning throughout the show and their journeys are so interesting and then you have like the violin snap to symbolize that the grandmother died i'm like shut up like just shut up tone it down because we were good up until now i felt a bit like it was almost like uh the showrunner like came in maybe at that point and said you know like i think you need to put these things into your drama like it's a little bit too subtle (laughs) it's too too smart you have to dumb it down for the audience yeah exactly (sighs) so annoying um but they finally get together uh and play brahms for her graduation recital yeah which I really enjoyed their performance. I thought the latter performances uh, between them and the trio and um, his graduation recital as well. I was like, these are really good, memorable bits of the show of them performing. And they sounded really good. They did. And I think this is where like uh, Pak Bin's kind of like, violin playing and slight background in it really paid off because when she's doing the super dramatic like you know yeah. bowing thing i'm just like you look so right it you know like I, I do not play the violin so i have no idea but you look like the, you look the real deal and right. yeah it was so great it was really good yeah. yeah i like the quote that she says to him after their performance at her graduation recital you know the piece we played today the fae sonata means free but lonely but I hope that you can be free and happy. Yeah. Yeah. That's so lovely. Oh, it's so lovely. I don't understand. This is a nitpick. Why did his graduation recital have like a bunch of songs and then hers just had one song? That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> like he came in and had a whole program, a whole program and she yeah. just needed him I'm for really the one song. It. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's just because, you know, he's the star and she's like, yeah. Uh, true. The little true, person. True, true. But I like the conversation that she has with him after his graduation recital where he says, he, I mean, he like, they've already broken up. Yeah. She's about to leave. And he says, like, I love you. Like, I'm, I'm being selfish right now. I know that, like, we've broken up and... I hurt you, but I love you. And I think I'd just regret it for the rest of my life if I didn't tell you right now. And I was like, (gasps) like hand over heart. I like couldn't breathe. I was like, oh my God. Then she says that she can't be friends with him. Yeah. Because she loves him. And then they have this most scrumptious kiss. 
backstage i was like oh lord like this is great this is so great it was was pretty good yeah yeah the last couple of notes that i have have to do with his mom because throughout the show i was thinking she should just divorce this asshole it's no hope that i know i know then jyp has this convo with his mom and says mom get a divorce i literally gasped so like the gasp that i gusped when he goes he just starts in mom get a divorce i was like that's what i have been saying the whole show so direct (laughs) love it yeah yeah it caught me off guard and then couple rings happy ever after uh and and that's it like i think maybe the show the only other nitpick i have is maybe the show should be 12 episodes long versus 16 I think that would be a really sweet spot. So you didn't have to do the 1.25 speed. So that I didn't have to do the 1.25 speed and we wouldn't have two love triangles and we wouldn't have a little bit of uh, wheel spinning with Jong Kyung and her bullshit. And yeah, it just would have been a little bit of a tighter show. And I, I, again, really good show overall. Really enjoyed it. I, 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 no, I liked it at 16. I would have taken 14, but I think tw- like 12 was maybe a bit too. I mean, the what the one thing I would say, that my final point would have been that I'm just very glad that they, the second lease didn't end up together. <gasps> oh my God, that's a great point. I'm so glad they didn't. Because I was, I was, I was like, you know, because I really didn't like her. So at episode 14 bit, I think I was like, please don't get back together with her. Don't, don't, like, <laughs> don't, don't give do her, it. don't redeem her so much that she is now like, okay to have her. Because I thought that's what they were going to do with the direct, like her grandmother dying. They were mm-hmm. going to like make it all like, get it all yeah. like, like smushy and like she yeah. was going to like, realized that she'd been a bitch all this time and i was like please don't make that happen because i'm just not buying it and then he goes off to the states and i'm like yes yes you go <laughs> leave leave find someone you. find someone who deserves you yeah yeah i agree oh the last thing i guess jong kyung is semi-redeemed when she realizes that she never loved jyp she just was comforted by him and his presence in his piano playing and was extremely jealous of his success <laughs> and felt inferior because her own talent had diminished. Yeah, but yeah. But again, I didn't buy that either though. Cause that doesn't like I'm, her self-realization. Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> well, no, her self-realization of that's why she liked him. Like I just was a bit like, ah. but then, but then you were basically acting like the, the jealous kind of bitch right so i don't like i get like that could be a justification for how you feel about someone but that is not how you behave for the majority of this drama she just behaves so badly she did she just behaves so badly i guess what i liked is that she was actually a good teacher yes yeah so i like that little like you know the, the the girl was she saw herself in the girl, right? And her mm-hmm. and her tiger mom and Yeah, yeah like, and having I think also having her coming to terms with what the foundation means to each member of her family and how the grandmother like she called her grandma out for 
thinking that this foundation was this like charitable thing that she was doing out of the goodness of her heart when really she started this foundation because she felt extremely guilty toward her daughter who died, Jung Kyung's mom, and not having a good relationship with her and be- being very um, harsh toward her yeah, in, yeah. in life. And I was like, oh, that's, ooh, <laughs> that's heavy. Yeah, that's why I felt like towards the end, like I could buy her. Like, I don't think she had a full redemption arc, but I, could, I felt like I could buy a little bit of like mm-hmm, hope mm-hmm. for her. I that agree. she could be less of a bitch in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she was already in her 30s. Like, <laughs> I feel like by the, by, by the time you're in your 30s, you're fully cooked. <laughs> like, there's not, <laughs> you don't grow that much, I guess. I don't know. Um. Yeah, so we wow, we were on the same wavelength for a lot of this. This is great. And you had such great takes and so much insight and cultural relevancy and things that spoke to you that I just didn't even pick up on. I'm so glad that you came on this episode with me and enjoyed the show. Sometimes people come on and we have a good time, but the show sucked and like we were just commiserating the whole time because we didn't like the show. But in this case, we did like the show. And I do want to just thank you for being so patient. It takes a really long time sometimes to produce podcast episodes, as you know, with Afternoon to Ask. Um, but I really appreciate it. You've been really, really wonderful. And I hope you come back. <laughs> oh, I'd love to come back. Thank you so much for having me. I've had a blast. Thank you. Oh, great. Where can people find you online, Sarah? So uh, I post um, probably a little bit too obsessively on Instagram at kdramathis. Uh, and then, as you said, we've we've just started a brand new baby pod, uh, Afternoon Asks, which is a sister podcast of Afternoon Delight. And I know you've had Leah from Afternoon Delight on your show. Um, so we, uh, so it's myself uh, and then Grace, my co-host, is a Korean-American. Um, so we're kind of like Asian-owned voices on this whole K-drama journey together um so we and it's called asks because we have a lot of questions right so <laughs> you know like we watch k-dramas and we're like does this thing really happen so we're we're kind of how to ask the questions that we all have um and bring on a lot of guests and grill them because we both neither of us know everything uh we learn how to say korean names properly with grace and we learn some phrases and and other things so yeah so come and join us on um afternoon asks I am so glad that you guys are doing those episodes and have started a really nice like spinoff of Afternoona. I loved having um, Leon. And here's some more episodes with uh, you guys, both the Afternoona team coming on Debak. I really appreciate it. And that's it. That's been our show. I'm Jessica, and this has been the Debak Rambles podcast. Ta-da!